Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. Go to John 13 and 2. Has God said, whatever God says, the enemy is going to oppose. And he's your accuser and my accuser. So he tries to get us off track. Look at what John tells us. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas, is carried Simon's son, Simon's son to betray him. He entered in to his heart. Once he got in his heart, he had him. Judas went and did what he did. Jesus said, that what you do, do quickly. And then he came back as though he was still among the 12 of them. Was Judas an evil man? Here's why, before we move on, I think it's important for all of us to get this. Judas was a zealot. And a zealot probably would be like one who's on fire. He might go to like Kojic. He'll be going to a Kojic church because everything else is too cool for him. When I mean cool, not enough fire. Cool, C-O-O-L, like chill, too chilly. He needs the fire. But his theology was off because of the doctrine that he had learned all his life. The doctrine that he had received was that the Messiah would be a conqueror. And that when the Messiah came, he was going to overthrow Israel, the Roman government and Israel would reign. So his intention was to provoke Jesus to war. He didn't, he didn't want him to get killed. He thought that if I do this, I know he's the Messiah. He's going to take care of them. The devil knew where he was off, and he used that as leverage. That's why it's important for us to know the truth, because the truth makes us free. Even when the enemy quotes scripture out of context, we'll know the difference, just like Jesus did in the wilderness. If he tried that on Jesus, he'll try it on us. And sometimes, based on either the tradition you grew up in, or so many ways we can get off track, like Judas, who was sincere, who was on fire, who wanted to see the kingdom come. He just didn't understand God's plan, and he wanted to provoke Jesus into action. But he didn't understand the will of God. He didn't understand the plan of God, and he didn't have the patience to wait. So he acted in a way that he thought was going to cause the Messiah to be made manifest. And it ended up bringing him so much sorrow because he didn't know the character of God, the plan of God, the will of God. That's why we've got to continue to grow in grace. We've got to make certain that we are open because when you think you've arrived, you stop growing. You stopped growing. And whenever we stop learning, whenever we stop growing, we're through. 
The riches and the wisdom of Christ are unsearchable. It's beyond our human capacity to get all of him. And that's why Paul said, I don't count myself to have comprehended, but this one thing I do, there's something I can do. I can put that stuff behind me. There's nothing I can do about what's behind me, but I can press. I can press. New covenant, keep on pressing. Keep on pressing. The devil might try to discourage you, but keep on pressing. Keep on pressing towards the mark of the prize, which is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. As long as I'm in him, you can't touch me, devil. What he will try to do is to get you to get up from the table and go make a deal and then come back like everything is all right. Even darkness is light unto him to whom we have to do. So we need to come clean. The only way to stay clean is to come clean and to agree with God. If God says it, it's true. Whatever he says is going to happen. And anything that contradicts that is a lie. I don't care who says it. It's a lie. His word is true. And sometimes the zeal of God can eat me up. Paul said this about Israel. He said, I went to God. I would give my life for Israel that they might be saved. He said, for they have a zeal towards God, but not according to knowledge. Not according to knowledge. And God's people perish because of the lack of knowledge. We're coming into a season of knowledge. Not knowledge that puffs up, but a word of knowledge. Some of you are going to speak a word of knowledge. You're going to speak things that you haven't learned. You haven't learned because God is going to give you what to say in the time that it needs to be said. He's going to season your tongues with grace. God is going to touch your mouth with the coals off the altar. And it's not going to be that knowledge that puffs up that comes from reading many books. It's going to be the knowledge of God. So none of us can boast. Let a word of knowledge be released in this room. Let the knowledge of God go forth. Let that be in our hearts so there's no room for the enemy. Lord Jesus, may we share in your testimony that the prince of this world cometh and finds nothing in me and finds nothing in me. Lord, that's what you did. Can you do that for us? Can you cover us so that when the enemy comes, he finds nothing in us? Don't let our zeal eat us up. Don't let our own righteousness become what we lean on. But your righteousness alone, your righteousness alone. If you're hearing what I'm saying, somebody say amen. Let's go back to the beginning. Genesis 3, verse 1. Genesis 3 and 1. Has God said, and we live in a time in this generation where it is, the word of God is challenged and it's done in subtle ways. Leave the verse up. Subtle ways. There are times 
when I see things that my children and my grandchildren are exposed to, I say, boy, it's so much harder for them because information is everywhere. And today, as I was driving here, about to come on campus, God reminded me of childhood cartoons that were innocent, but it was full of witchcraft and sorcery. And as a child, I didn't know it. And my parents didn't guard me from it. So I would watch Aladdin and, th and think nothing of it. Think nothing of it. Classic, the Wizard of Oz. America celebrates wizards. And you know, in, in, when I was a child, when they would do, um, they blow that, whatever that instrument is, and they would be charm, snake charmers. Snake to stand up. And it's, it's like, that's pretty cool. But God cursed the snake to their belly. And we take it in. I go to the movies with, with my young ones, the generations that have come from my loins, who I want to protect. And I watch with them different Marvel movies. One of the most successful franchises. It's the most demonic, antichrist material that you've ever seen. How do we guard the hearts of our children from that? I'm talking about really antichrist, where they literally mock Jesus. They bring up his name, and, him, and they mock him. They call darkness light and evil good. And we root for the bad guys. You know why we root for the bad guys? Because they're all bad guys. And we don't even know it. It's called entertainment. It's cinematic. But the enemy is coming from all points. The prince of the power of the air. We need to pay attention. We need to pay attention. There are lyrics that people dance to the beats. And it is full of demonic stuff. And it's getting into the hearts of our children. How do you expect them to behave? And not just our children. Such are some of you. We, are, we have to be on guard because what happened in this verse is the same playbook that the enemy uses today. Every generation who came after Adam and Eve have the same challenge and the same desires are put before us to taste something that we're not supposed to taste. And once you taste it, it's different. It's like, this is exotic. Luke 3, not Luke. Genesis 3 and 1 reads, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? We're going to stop right there. Has God indeed said, did God say this? 
Come here. Come here, Eve. Let me tell you why God said that. Because he knows when you eat that, you're going to be like him. What he's saying is God just wants to keep you bound. God wants to keep you ignorant. But if you do this, you're not going to die. Come on, you're going to be like God. The devil does that in a thousand and one ways to us. And that's why people think it's corny to be a Christian. It's boring. That's the only place you can have life. And then they embrace the destructive stuff. The one who wants to destroy them because he's already judged, people embrace that and reject the other. Now we take some responsibility because the, as image bearers of God, we're not imparting his image very good. Because sometimes we thump people when they need to be loved. We rebuke people when they need to be encouraged. We judge people when they ought to be built up on every side. There's only one judge. The same God is going to judge every one of us. And one thing I've learned is the same measure that I meet is going to be measured to me. So I ain't measuring nothing. If it's not a measure of wheat, I'm not measuring it. Because what I'm doing is inviting God to judge me. And if I do that, I better be right. I don't trust Bob as much as I trust Jesus. Because I trust him, I leave all that to him. That's for you to do. I'm going to do what you say. So Eve, Eve entertained this thought. Whenever we entertain a thought, we're one step from the fall. From that day that she listened to the word of the servant over the word of God, death entered in. She didn't die on the spot, but if you read the fifth chapter of Genesis and it talks about all the generations, every one of them, it says, and Adam lived 930 years and he died. Methuselah lived 969 years and he died. And it goes on, everyone. And then towards the end, something happens, Janine. He puts in Enoch. And Enoch lived to be 300 plus years and then he was not because the Lord took him. See, you don't have to die. Your natural body can die, but if the Lord takes you, you won't be here anymore, but you won't be dead. It didn't say that Enoch died. Read it yourself. Everybody else, God is saying, I'm gonna send somebody that's gonna make you different. If you would just obey my word and follow my plan, you can be like Enoch. You don't have to die. See, the devil comes for three reasons. To kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life. Why would you want to listen to or entertain the thoughts of somebody who wants to kill you, who wants to steal your stuff, and who wants to destroy you? It's in the text. He's subtle. And because he's subtle, you don't always see it. He causes me and you to justify things that are wrong. And we convince ourselves that they're right. 
and everyone is right in their own minds. Once I do that, then God is pushed to the side. We're not falling for that trap. It's a trap. It's the snare of the enemy. So Eve now has entertained the thought. He's entered her mind. You saw where he entered Judas? Heart. Now Eve, he entered the mind. You know when he gets in her heart? When she takes the bite. Every fruit was desirable and it looked good. It all looked good. And it was good to eat. There was only one God said don't touch. I don't know how many thousands there were, but all of them beautiful. And I wanna, I wanna paint a picture for you. Their time with God was so intimate and pleasant that they could literally hear God's footsteps in the cool of the day. They were naked and not ashamed. They were at harmony with everything. The lions didn't roar. They could, they, everybody was in harmony and in peace. They had perfect fellowship with God. And now the enemy comes and whispers sweet nothings in her ear. And she's seduced. And then she tastes the forbidden fruit. Here's the thing about it. It's like, wow, I've never tasted this before. This is, this is what happens to people who have not experienced the depths of the enemy. He shows you something and you taste it, and it tastes different. And it's like, man, this is sweet. This is sweeter than the other fruit. And then it comes upon you that I've disobeyed God. And Adam immediately went into hiding. Went into hiding. When God said, Adam, where are you? It's not because he didn't know where he was. He wanted Adam to know it's foolish to try to hide from me. He wanted Adam to confess. And did Adam confess? He blamed somebody else. He made excuses. He said, the woman you gave me, the woman you gave me caused me to do it. We all have free will. We all have our own choices. You can't blame anyone. When I stand before God, the woman he gave me is not going to be next to me. Even if I'm like, Denise, where you at? She'll say, Bobby, I got my own stuff. I got to stand before the same God. It's funny, but it's true. All of us are going to give an account. And what God wants for us is the best. And the serpent convinced her that, you know what? God is just trying to keep you down. He's trying to bring her into bondage by convincing her that she's in bondage. She's free because whom the son says free is free indeed. There's so much in our culture that tells us, if you don't do this, if you don't do this, you're not really free. And it's like, you know, these church people, they're a bunch of hypocrites. I, I marvel. I didn't always see this because I, I was one of them. But now I see how the devil have caused us to even turn in on ourselves, that we don't trust each other. 
I, and I mean that. Not, I'm, talking, I'm talking real. Can I be real with you? That if you want to hear somebody talk about what church people are not, talk to a church person. Rather than saying the church is the body of Christ, the church is the bride of Christ, and he's going to present to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. The devil will never prevail because Jesus is building his church. I'm talking about the church he's building. I'm not talking about the fiefdoms that men or women are building. I'm talking about his church. That's the church that we represent. That's the church that we ought to defend. Defend her. Love her with all her flaws. Love her with all her blemishes. Because the Bible says that when Jesus comes, she's not going to have a spot or a wrinkle or blemish or any such thing. Is that true? But the enemy will put more another narrative in our mind. Come on, we're exposing him today. We're exposing him today because God wants to glorify his church. He will present to himself a glorious church. He will. All this nation building. There is, I was breaking bread with the Barlows the other day, and we were, you know, they're kingdom people, so it's easy to talk about the kingdom with them because they bring the kingdom. It's in their mouth. It's in their sleep. It's in their rising up and laying down. There's only one holy nation. One holy nation. You are a peculiar people. A holy nation. The holy nation is the invisible nation that are God's people. God's people. And we're peculiar. We're different. Stop trying to be like everybody else. You're not meant to be like everybody else. You are peculiar. You're a peculiar people. And we ought to show forth the praises of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And you want your light to shine bright. Every time you take a step, your light should shine brighter and brighter. You know what the enemy wants to do to you and me? It's to put us on a dimmer switch. And the light goes dimmer and dimmer before it's darkness. The devil is a liar. We're going to let our shot light. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And we don't have to be deep. We just have to obey him. Has God said? Has God indeed said? Are you sure you heard him right? Here's what he really said. And you know what that leads to? Debates. Debates and disputes. And then what that does is it keeps us from agreement. And we dispute and debate things that really don't matter in eternity. But what it does is it creates schism. See, God wants us to be together. The devil wants us divided. Because even Satan knows that a house divided against itself cannot stand. So he wants to see you fall. He wants to see me fall. He wants to see us fall. Not going to happen. Not going to happen because our God is greater. Our God is stronger. 
Our God is higher than any other. Our God is healer. He's awesome in power. Our God, he's got us. He's got you. And not only you, he's got the whole world in his hand. He got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me. He's got the little bitty babies in his hand. That deception has impacted every generation that ever has and ever will live. They lost their intimacy. They lost their intimacy. And they went into hiding. Somebody say with me, come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. You can run, but you can't hide. Because he knows the way that we take. So how can we recapture the Is it possible? Is it po I heard somebody say yes. I'm in the right church. Because we're living in a generation where people say things like, nobody's perfect. That's a spiritual cop-out. It's a way to say, yeah, I make mistakes, so do you. We are all sinners. What? Thou shalt perfect those things that concerneth me. Oh, Lord, God is able. And guess what? I'm in the perfect one. I don't have to be perfect. I just have to stay in him. I don't have to be righteous. I'm accepted in the beloved. It's his righteousness that covers me and not my own. So I humble myself and say, carry me, Lord. Carry me, Jesus. We're not going to be a place where we make excuses or we cop out or we hide. So can it be recovered? The person who wrote this book, Genesis, Moses, God gave me a picture of intimacy that can be ours just as it was his, Reverend Drew. It was his because the Bible says he was the meekest man or the humblest man in all the earth. And God talked to him as friend to friend. When his brother and sister came against him, God said, how dare you not be afraid to come against my servant Moses? If I speak to a prophet, I'll speak to them in a vision or a dream. But my servant Moses, I'll speak to mouth to mouth. Is there anybody who wants to talk to God mouth to mouth? He said, as friend to friend, I want to be a friend of God. And Moses... While he was on the backside of the mountain, he made a decision first. He could have, he had a choice. He could have been a general and an heir to the throne of Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth, even though by birth he wasn't one of them. He could have been, but the Bible says he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. Don't let anybody fool you. There's pleasure in sin, but it works death. And Moses made the right choice. I would rather suffer with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin. And once he made that decision, God said, I found my deliverer. And he took him on the backside of the mountain, and for 40 years, he prepared him. There's something about sheep 
When David was being prepared with his father, Jesse, he was minding his sheep. When Moses was, oh my God, I feel the Holy Ghost. When Moses was on the backside of the mountain, he was minding his sheep. The most important thing that we can do is feed his sheep. Don't you mess with his flock because he's the good shepherd. The shepherd watches over his flock. You are precious. You are precious. I would never dare think about abusing you or doing something that's wrong. God, if I speak an untruth, let my tongue cleave to my mouth. Let you alone minister to your people. You are precious in his sight. He wants the best for you and nothing else will do. But let's talk about recapturing intimacy. Moses, first of all, didn't know who God was. God knew him. See, even before we know him, he knows you. There's some people in this room, you don't understand what I'm talking about. God already has you in his sights. That's why you're here. You think you're here because somebody invited you. You're here because God appointed this time for you. He knows your name. He knows your every thought. He knows what you need, and he's got it. So Moses on the backside of the mountain, when God appears to him on Sinai, Lord, what's your name? You want me to go. How can I go? I don't even know. What is your name? So he gets to meet God. Time passes over the course of 40 years. He says, Lord, if I found favor in your sight, show me your glory. Now he knows him. He's been at the burning bush. He's taken the shoes off his feet because the ground he was on was holy. He's heard the voice of God, but he wants more intimacy. Lord, show me your glory. I've heard your voice, but show me your glory. I've heard the sound of the thunder clapping, but show me your glory. Is there anybody who says, God, I know you, but I need more. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. And so God said, Moses, go up. I'll show you my hinder parts. I'll show you what's behind me, and that's enough. And he passed by and passed the O. And Carlotta, when he passed by, he showed him what was behind him. Here's the mystery. How did Moses write the book of Genesis? Which was before creation. There could be no word of mouth. There was not even, Adam was still the dust of the earth. In fact, Genesis began before the earth was formed. How does Moses saw that? God said, I'm going to show you what's behind me. You write that down. You tell people what you see behind me. God, show me what's behind you. Show me your face. You can't be in his presence and not receive a revelation that no one knows of. And Moses was, ever, was able to write not just the history of humankind, but the history of creation because he desired to see him, his glory. And he said, look behind me. See, all creation was behind him. Everything was behind him. Adam was behind him. Eve was behind him. Methuselah was behind him. Everything, the Garden of Eden was behind him. And Moses was able to write that. 
Think about it. There was no word of mouth. There was no book for Moses to read. There was no commentary. There was no reference. There was none of that. All we need is the glory of God. All we need is the Holy Ghost. He'll tell you things that you know not of. God, we want that intimacy with you. Give us that intimacy. We've been hiding long enough. We want to come. Bid us to come. Bid us to come. We're ready to take the shoes off our feet, knowing that the ground that we stand is holy. Holy ground. Holy ground. When you recognize holy ground, the fear of God comes. You're in a place to be more intimate with him. God, I want to see you. I want to know you better. I want to get closer to you. I need to know what's in your mind. No one knows the mind of God, but the Holy Ghost, which is given to us, reveals him unto us, for he knoweth the mind of God. We have tools that Moses didn't have. And all we need to do is humble ourselves like Moses did. The devil wants us to be in a place where we think we know, where we've arrived. In the presence of God, God laughs at that. We are in our culture, even in our church culture, in some instances, we lift up the gifts. The gift giver cares nothing about our gifts. He gave it to us for a purpose. What he wants us to know is the purpose that he gave us. Stop popping your suspenders. It's not about that. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. God has a purpose for us. I lost a dear friend this week. His name is Stephen. I want to say his name. I haven't known him that long. I've worked together with him for two years. And all of it was virtual. But we were advising a company together, and we were co-chairs, and we became close. And he would say things, I'm going to miss my friend. He would say things like, my good friend Bob Oliver, I could listen to you talk all day. He said, I can't wait to see you in the resurrection. Now, he said this in, bunch, in, in front of a lot of godless people. And then I thought, he's not far from the kingdom. So we would encourage each other. He was born with a condition called spinal muscle muscular atrophy, SMA. Spinal muscular atrophy. His parents were told he will not survive past the age of two because it's a degenerative disease. It's eating him up. Prepare to bury your son. He died on Monday at the age of 66. And I understand why God put him in my life I never met him in the flesh, but I said to them, tell me when his service is. He can, he's not going to be alone. I will go to Utah and honor my friend. Now, I don't know if they're going to get me the information, but here's one of the things he said. My heart was broken, and I, they, they covered him because in his life, he rose to be in the 
the associate um, district attorney in the state of Utah. It never held him back. He never felt sorry for himself. We would be in meetings and his therapist was massaging him. He couldn't hear, he could hardly talk. I was impressed because I've never been in a business environment where that was acceptable. And he had a voice. He had authority. He was a man of faith. And you would not feel sorry for him. If you did, he would rebuke you sharply in a loving way. And here's what he said. He said, most of us don't realize that our purpose for being on this earth is to love and to serve one another. He said, in all the days of my life, that's what I want to do. That's why I loved him. And he was a friend. He's a friend that I never met in the flesh. Why do I bring that up? There are ways that God wants to use us to impact people that we haven't even known. And you can make an impact in a small space of time if you would just walk in purpose. Everything that God has given you, your trouble, whatever it is, it's with a purpose. He wants to use all of that. What the enemy wants to do is to have me focus on things, to murmur and complain, and time is being spent. And, and, I, and I'm held back from my purpose because I'm doing this. He wants me to fight with you. He wants me to justify myself. He wants me to use my time in a way that's unproductive. He wants me to associate people with people who are not going to build me up, but people who will contaminate my mind, contaminate my heart, and defile my spirit. He wants the same thing for you, but we're not ignorant of his devices. What God has said is true. And it's the only thing that will stand. My opinion, not gonna stand. It's good, not even good for me, it's good as long as I'm alive. I have it, I'm a free moral agent, but it won't stand. When, the, when everything passes away, his word will stand. That's a, that's a firm foundation. That's what we trust. That's what we believe. And rightly dividing it is so important. Judas, who had the zeal of God, made space for the enemy to enter in and cause him to do something that he, wouldn't, that he didn't want to do. Paul said it this way. When I would do good, evil is always present. That that I want to do, I don't do. And that that I don't want to do, that I do. So what is it? He said, I see another member working in my body, the law of sin and death. The Lord came to set us free from that. He wants us to be together. Like whenever we come together, if I see you in ShopRite, I'm encouraged just by seeing you. Don't open your mouth and discourage me. Let me be more encouraged. Not only am I encouraged because I see you, but I feel better. I feel stronger. 
I feel stronger. I can do anything. I'm about, you don't know the person might be about to encounter something and God calls you to encourage them. Don't waste that time gossiping. Don't waste your time. Let's build one another up. That's what God is doing. God is building up the body of Christ. God is gathering a remnant everywhere. And to those who are willing and obedient, we're going to be like those who came hitherto to turn the world upside down. He just took 12. Then he lost one. And he brought another one, Matthias. Can anybody tell me anything about Matthias? They cast a lot. They called anything after that. But I promise you, he was used mightily. Here's the point. Don't worry about titles. Don't worry about position. Just be used of God. Make yourself available to God. The power is not in the mic. The power is in him. And if I have him, you can have the mic. God wants us to focus on the things that matter, on the things that are eternal. There have been too, it's been too long that the enemy has us grappling over things that won't last. They don't matter. They're going to dissolve in time. But we, he created Adam to live, a living soul. Death came in because of sin. Every generation, it's the same thing. Everybody, Pastor O says it this way, everybody wants to be paid, but they don't like the wages. The wages of sin is death. Who among us doesn't get excited on payday? But the wages of sin is death. Who wants those wages? Would you rather have the gift of God, which is eternal life? This struggle that we have, spirit against the flesh, is what God said and what the enemy is saying to oppose him. Let me close with this. I want to encourage you with this, beloved. You and I are the proof when we walk upright that God's word is true. You and I are the proof that God's word is true. What, I'm, what am I talking about? Romans 1 and 2 says this, Brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. How should we present them? Holy. Acceptable to who? My neighbor, my homeboys, my teammates, my pastor, to God, which is your reasonable service. There's nothing that God is asking of you or me that's unreasonable. The devil is a liar. It's not unreasonable. Go to verse 2. Why does he want us to do that? Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. There's too much silly putty in this generation. Being conformed to this world. We got to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in him 
shall never be in vain. The devil is a liar, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, the mind, he comes to put things in your mind to cause you to doubt God and to justify things that are not of God. And it sounds good because everyone is right in their own eyes. And what is the purpose of being transformed by the renewing of your mind? That you may do what? That you might do what? What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Perfect will of God. If you walk around saying nobody's perfect, you'll never manifest this. I know somebody who's perfect. J-E-S-U-S. And that's why I'm rocking with Jesus. I'm in him because he is perfect. See, I don't have to be perfect, but I, I must be in him. I have to be in him because the branch and the vine, there's no branch that can survive without the vine. If we abide in him and he in, in us, we can ask whatever we will. You are the proof that God's word is true. So when the enemy of our soul comes to challenge us and said, has God said? We're going to walk in what God said because we're proof. And every time I stumble, the truth of God stumbles. Every time I turn the wrong way, the evidence is diluted. I become a witness that is not a good character witness. Think in the court of law. The thing that will get you acquitted or get you behind bars are witnesses. And if you have a good, strong character witness, you'll be set, come on, a witness. But if your witness is a liar, has a, is a perpetual liar, has no character, is a low-down, dirty scoundrel, assume the position. You about to do the perp walk. How much more is my character important when I'm his witness? I'm his witness for the whole world. And the world is the jewelry. The whole jewelry box is watching you. You know the jurors pay attention to the witness. They pay close attention to the witness. One time, this is a true story, true story, some years ago, and I knew it was during 9-11, because I was in a courtroom in Mississippi, in Claiborne, Mississippi. Now, I have nothing against Mississippi, but I wouldn't recommend it for vacation. Not that place. It was the worst place in the country for corporations. And they were, it was a $2 billion lawsuit. I didn't know it at the time for the company that I was working for, which I'll leave nameless, because this video goes out. I want you to go out. I don't want this to go out. And so I get up, I go to my hotel, I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I promise you, they took me down a road that's called Natchez Street. It's so dark, it's more than 100 miles. And I'm thinking about Mississippi burning. I'm telling that's what was in my mind. 
They had brought me some Popeye's chicken. The chicken smelled good. So I don't want no chicken right now. I'm like, are we good out here? And the guy who was driving me, the attorney's brother-in-law, he said, don't worry, I got you. We have our guns. I'm like, why you need your guns? You couldn't see anything. I'm telling you, you put your hand before your face. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, Jesus, I'll never forget what you've done for me. Jesus, I'll never forget how you set me free. Jesus, I'll never forget how you brought me out. Jesus, I'll never forget. No, never. I'm back there in my spirit singing, how can I forget what you've done for me? How can I forget how you brought me out? So it was one of those moments. So we finally get there. The next day, I wake up. This outside counsel, who I didn't know, was waiting for me to take me to the court, which was like two hours. It was like, why everything so far? So while we're in the car, he said, Bob, have you read the paper, the local paper? I said, no. He said, here it is on the front page. It says, $2 billion lawsuit. And I said, so who else is here? Do we have anyone from regulatory, anyone from medical? He said, no, you're the only witness. I didn't even know what song to sing at that point. Maybe I should have sang Jehovah Jireh. You are with me. You supply all my needs. So I get it, and this place is hostile. It's hostile. I promise you, when I, when I read the transcript and recall some of the things they said to me on the stand, it was like, I, I just felt, man, it was almost a dehumanizing experience. That's what they want to do to break you down. But here's the, here's the point of the story. So I get there and I'm saying, they have all these plaintiffs, you have a jury box full, you have all these witnesses. I can't even go anywhere. The company was nice enough to send me on a corporate jet and then they left me because in 9-11 they needed us somewhere else. I had to get on a commercial flight and I look at people who look suspicious I start rebuking people. Because, you know, I'm thinking about planes going in the building. It was not a good memory. I don't know why I'm talking about this. I'm bringing up trauma. <laughs> but there is a point to this that's relevant to the message. So I'm, I'm in the, the huddle with the attorneys who are preparing me. And they said, the reason that you are the sole witness, we interviewed lots of people, and we did the voir dire which is kind of the mock before you go before a trial. And they said, every single person said they believe you and that I trust him. There's something about him that I trust. And they sent me there as a single witness. Two billion dollars, that's a lot of weight. We won. We didn't pay one dollar. I want to be a better witness than that because every one of you is worth more than $2 billion. What does it profit anybody to gain the whole world? 
if on a video people can watch and they watch all these others and they could pick me out and say, this guy is honest, I believe him. And they trust me enough, the company trusts me enough to send me by myself. I don't recommend that for anybody. How much more do you want to be the fragrance of Christ? That he says, like he testified of Job, have you considered my servant? They eschew evil. They don't want anything to do with it. I trust Bob. He's going, no matter what you do to him, good or bad, that's my servant. He is going to bless my name. He'll come through. I've seen him in hard times. I've seen him in good times. I can trust him on the mountain. I can trust him on the valley. His heart doesn't depart from me. That's my desire. Am I by myself? Am I in the right room? Stand to your feet. May every challenge that comes your way, every test, every temptation, with every temptation, may you see the way to escape. May you overcome by the word of your testimony and the blood of the Lamb. May we seek greater intimacy with Him. May we chase after Him above all Above all, may we desire him. Lord, we hear your word at the table of communion where you expressed a deep desire to be with your disciples before you suffer. We acknowledge your suffering, that it wasn't for you, it was for us. Lord, may we never crucify you afresh, but may we honor you as faithful witnesses. Establish your covenant with us now. Lift your hands. May the lifting of our hands be as the evening sacrifice. Cause us to be the fragrance of Christ to those who are being saved and to those who perish. May we not go to the right or to the left. God, we don't want to play church. We want to be the church. We want to be your body. We want to be your ambassadors. We want to be your representatives. So take away the stench and release a fragrance that is pleasing in your nostrils. 
for we are the fragrance of Christ. And we are your witnesses. Every eye closed, every head bowed. If you're in here and you want to get to know him better, more intimately, if you're like Moses, who sense a call but you don't know him, and if you've never confessed him, I want you to raise your hand. Everyone has two hands up but you just put one hand high so that you'll be different from everybody else in the room. And for you, this is the prayer. Lord Jesus, you know everything about me. Search my heart. Cleanse me today. Forgive me of my sins. I confess that I'm a sinner. I've been deceived. I now see that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Receive me unto yourself that I might desire the sincere milk of the word and grow thereby send people to disciple me, to teach me, to help me grow. I desire you. I want to be where you are. Don't cast me away. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God a hand clap. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.